Well, as Zach said, we are in a series on uh, Northview is and the different elements that make up Northview. Uh, and so uh, Steve asked me to speak well, so he could remain at the men's retreat. And uh, uh, I have to start with a disclaimer. You know when you've got to start with a disclaimer that, oh my goodness, what's going to come next? Especially when I read about the incidents that happened in, uh, in Paris, France, because of the illustration I'm going to be using. So here's my disclaimer. Uh, I'm going to be using some examples in my message that have to do with loss of life and how people respond in those situations. Uh, as a career firefighter and paramedic, I have learned to distance myself emotionally from tragic situations so that I can think and act clearly in response to these emergencies. Uh, when speaking on these topics, however, uh, it may seem that I come off as uncaring or even flippant towards those that have lost their, lost their lives. Um, I want to assure you I'm not in any way trying to minimize uh, the pain that people encounter when losing a loved one. I actually do care deeply. It's just a, a defense mechanism that emergency workers use uh, so that we can continue otherwise we would turn into a puddle every single day of our jobs so this message is kind of more along the lines of good old joe friday just the facts ma'am uh, if you remember that show uh and uh it might be a little bit different than what you're used to uh, uh, uh seeing on a sunday morning um so again this morning we're actually going to be talking about uh the idea of servant leadership uh, and, and that concept of servant leadership is very much at the core of uh, who we are here at Northview. And there's a lot of intentionality that has gone into that. Uh, we're going to look at it from two different perspectives. We're going to look at it from the perspective of what is our example of servant leadership. And then we're going to look at it from the perspective of what does it mean for us to be a servant leader. Uh, now, before we even get started, that word servant sometimes raises people inside and they're like, ugh, I just, I don't like that, that word. Or they're uncomfortable with that word because they use it synonymous with the word slave. And that, in our culture, has all sorts of, uh, of negative connotations. And I don't have time to really sit and say, well, let's go through an entire word study of what the word servant means. I don't have time this morning to do that. So let me give you a positive example of the word servant. I'm a firefighter. My title is public servant. That's what they call me. They say I'm a public servant. Same with police officers. We are public servants. Our job is to serve the public. When I signed on to be a firefighter, I knew that that job entailed going out and serving people. That was the bulk of the job. If you work in customer service at your business, well, guess what that title means? You are there to serve the customer. It's not a bad thing. It's not a, it's, it's not a thing to be ashamed of or a humility thing. It's just... That's my role is I'm here to serve the people around me. So um, that's kind of the, the perspective I want to um, go off of. And um, when I read the Bible, I see that Jesus has a lot of high, high regards towards servants. And he certainly talks on that topic quite a bit. And I believe that the, the, the best thing, the best words I could hear when I enter heaven is Jesus looking at me and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm not the only one that has said that. A lot of people have, have said, you know, I would, I would love to hear Jesus when, when we walk into the, the gates of heaven and he looks at us and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And we get that phrase from a parable that Jesus says. Uh, and, and in the parable, uh, we find it in, um, in Matthew 25, and he's talking about the parable of talents, where he's talking about a master of the house uh, was going away on a long journey, and so he gave his uh, servants different amounts of money to kind of oversee while he was gone. And to one he gave, you know, five, and one he gave two, and one he gave one. He gave them different amounts. Interesting. 
And then he came back after a while and he said, all right, it's time to, to, to pay up. It's time to you know, see what you've done with, uh, with what I gave you. And, and two of the servants, the one that got five talents, one that got two talents, uh, came back and said, well, here's the five that you gave me. And, and okay, I made five more for you. And the master was very pleased. And so that's where we pick it up right here. It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Uh, And that's the phrase I would love to hear uh, when I get to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will put you over much and enter into the joy of your master. Now notice what isn't said in that passage. Notice it doesn't say, well done, good and faithful pastor or evangelist or teacher or preacher or missionary or Boeing engineer or doesn't say, you know, school teacher, doesn't say executive, doesn't say those things, doesn't say firefighter. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that Jesus puts a lot of emphasis on the ability of willing to take the role of a servant. Uh, when Jesus was with his disciples, uh, he was uh, walking with them and he noticed that behind him, I imagine that's just the way I picture it, is Jesus kind of walking there, kind of trailing off like you know, a bunch of little ducklings behind Jesus. And they're having a, an argument. And the argument is, who's greater? Who's the greatest? You get 12 guys together, eventually they're going to talk about who's better than who. Uh, and so these guys are saying, who's the greatest among us? Uh, and Jesus hears this and so he, uh, he kind of pulls them together. And uh, we see in, um, uh, in uh, Mark 39, or sorry, Mark 9:35, uh, Jesus sat down and called the 12. Said, "All right, boys, we're having a meeting." And this is what he tells them, based on their discussion of trying to figure out who's going to be greatest. He said to them, "If anyone would be first, he must be last, and uh, it must be last of all, and servant of all." Now, notice it doesn't say servant of. Many, servant of most, servant of all. And the concept of if you want to be first, you've got to be last. You've got to put yourself in a position of being a servant. Now, you would think that that would stick with the disciples and they would go, oh, got it, Jesus. Okay, great, we're moving on. Well, sadly, just a little bit of time pro- uh, passes and uh, two of the disciples approach Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we want the two of us to sit on your left and your right when you're in heaven. We want to be in your left hand and your right hand when you get to heaven. Uh, and of course, Jesus is like, well, I really am not the one that can, can, can give that to you. Uh, that's my father can, uh, is going to make that determination. But of course, the other ten disciples caught wind of this, that these two were being asked, and now they're ticked. And now you're back into a big argument again of who's first and who's last and who's an argument. So Jesus, again, sits him down, and we pick it up just a... a, a a chapter later in, in Mark, and he says the same words. A little bit different, though. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Kind of up in the, you know, guys, are you getting this? Are you getting my point? But then look what Jesus says about himself. He says, for the Son of Man, or for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that's huge those two passages for the son of man came not to be served but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many that's Jesus saying you know what I'm here 
to serve. That's my job here on earth. And, and I always have to pa- pause and go, wow. The king of the universe came here to earth and his role was a servant. And how far was he willing to serve? Well, to die on the cross. Right there. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. That Jesus would tell us in no uncertain terms that the mark of leadership is found in serving. But what about here at Norfolk? Uh, I started coming to Norfolk many years ago, and when I started coming to Norfolk, uh, they were meeting an Archbishop Murphy, uh, and uh, of course, by having a church and a school, uh, you've got uh, a whole group of people that have to show up early and, and bring everything in trucks, and you set up a cafeteria to turn a cafeteria into much what we take for granted in this room, and then all the classrooms have to be set up for children's rooms. You have to move all the, the teachers' desks and, and kids' desks out of the way and set it up for nurseries and stuff like that. When the church service is over, that I go packed back up in the truck and driven away. So uh, there was a set-up and tear-down team, a group of guys and and gals that came, and they set up, uh, came early, set up, and stayed late and tore down and all stuff. After a few weeks, uh, my wife and I decided that, uh, you know, I I think we're going to maybe look at uh, making this our permanent church home. Kind of like it here, but I want to ask a few questions first. Uh, So I talked to... um, the then associate pastor, I says, hey, uh, we're kind of thinking of, uh, of staying here, uh, but I would kind of like to know who the elders are and uh, just kind of maybe, you know, find out what they're all about. Uh, if they're the leaders of the church, I want to find out what, you know, what, what kind of makes them tick. And uh, uh, Scott was the associate pastor, and he says, well, you already know all the elders. And I'm like, I don't know anybody here. I know you, but really, I, I really don't know much other, other people here. And he says, no, they're all the, the guys that you see in the, in the morning and in the afternoon setting up and tearing down because I was helping with worship. So I was there early and, and, and staying late. So I saw these guys. I'm like, those guys are the elders? It's like, yeah, yeah, they, you know, they started listening to them off and all these guys were on that service team. And right then I knew Norfew was a safe place because if the elders of the church, the leaders of the church were the servants that were doing the behind the scenes that people didn't see and doing it with joy, I thought, this is a good church for me and my family. I can be safe here under their leadership. Now, fast forward a few years, and I was asked to be an elder. Uh, And I thought, oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, I'm going to have to really think about that. Uh, Because it was very clear to me that when you step up to be an elder, it's all about serving. Yes, there's a leadership element. Yes, there's an authority element to being an elder. But the biggest expectation of being an elder at Northview is that you will serve, that you will be a behind-the-scenes server. And it's that concept of servant leadership in play. Well, how about our staff? We've got an amazing staff here. Uh, We really do. And uh, they also demonstrate servant leadership. Have you ever been to a special event Driven up and it's raining outside. This just happened like a few weeks ago with the Harris the uh, Third uh, concert, whatever you call that, uh, the Magic Act. And you found Pastor Steve, the head pastor of Northview Community Church, is standing out in the parking lot in the rain with a reflective vest directing traffic. It happens all the time. Now, if we could get Steve out of the parking lot, it would be a miracle because he's the first one to volunteer to be out there. Uh, and it's just because he is wired by his very nature to be a servant. Uh, that's where he feels most comfortable at. 
but he also understands the, the, the greatness of hard work. And he steps up and he does the hard work. And the staff does the same thing. You have no idea the level of uh, what it takes to keep a church running like this. Now, we have a great group of volunteers that help with janitorial. They help with setup. They do a lot of great work. Uh, and they're always looking for more people. So we're talking about servants. Hey, you might want to jump in with them. Um, but uh, uh, they do a lot of great, great work for doing that. But they can't be here seven days a week. So for as much as they're able to accomplish, there's still a lot more that needs to be accomplished. Well, guess who does that? The staff. The directors, the pastors, the office staff. They're always helping out in the kitchen, doing all this behind-the-scenes stuff. And some would say, well, what's the big deal with that? Aren't we paying them to do that? Isn't that their job? Well, sadly, if you've been around church culture for any length of time, you know that there's many churches that the leadership develop a that's-not-my-job attitude when it comes to the dirty work. A good friend of mine is a response chaplain. She works with me at the fire department, um, but she's also um, uh, has done a lot of national work. And she was called down to the Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings uh, a few years back uh, to serve as a chaplain there. There was about 30 chaplains in that group. And uh, the police department, uh, she was there primarily to uh, work hand-in-hand hand with the police department, uh, was uh, looking at this large memorial that had grown in front of the school. It was massive. People bringing flowers and stuffed animals and, and notes and pictures and all the stuff just kept growing and growing. And a storm was coming in. It was a pretty big uh, storm coming in. And the police were concerned. They said, you know, we really would like the families to be able to have, you know, keep some of this stuff, but it's going to get ruined in the storm. So right directly across the street was a utilities building that had an undercover area. And the police said, let's move the stuff from here over to there before it gets ruined by the rain. And they asked the chaplains to help them. Of the 30 chaplains, three stayed to help. Christy and two others. Now these chaplains came from a major national ministry. If I told you the ministry, everybody in this room, even if you don't know any national ministries, would recognize the name instantly. And Christy told me, she said, uh, Christy's the, the name of the gal is my friend. Some of the women uh, know her. She came and spoke a few weeks back. Christy says, you know, it was terrible because one of the guys, when he walked away, he literally turned to me and he said, I didn't come here for that and walked away. Now, if I seem a little ticked off, it's because I am. <laughs> I don't have patience for that kind of thing. They were there for the limelight. They were there to go on camera, talk about how much they were serving, and they got in their cars and went back to the hotel room. Well, there's a postscript to that story. Their special assignment a couple of days later popped up requiring chaplains. Police department said, we need somebody to do this. And of course, guess who ran to the front of the line? Pick us, pick us. Oh, we'd love to do that. That would be awesome. The police officers literally threw out those chaplains. They were ticked. They said, you know what, you guys just get out, just go. And again, I mean, the other little kind of side note is kind of a testimony was that to the police officers of the name of Christ. But the police officers threw all the chaplains out and said, I want you to go find, not to the chaplains, but to, to one of the other police officers, go find me those three chaplains. Go find them. We know their names. Go find out where they are. Get them back here because they were the ones that spent an hour and a half in the pouring down rain moving that memorial with our officers. Those are people we can trust with the fragile emotions of the family members here at Sandy Hook. We will trust those three. Boy, does that sound like Jesus? 
that sound like if you are faithful in the little, I will give you much? Well, we are so blessed because that's the way our staff operates. And we need to pause and realize that. And, I'm, and I was thankful, that actually, that I got to deliver this message because it would be a little awkward for Steve to stand up here and say, look at how great we are. And I know he would never do that. But I can do that. We need to pause and say we're very blessed for the staff that we have here in demonstrating servant leadership. And what about when God calls you to be a servant? How does that go over? I have a great illustration in my life that I learned so much in such a short period of time because God called me to step up and to serve. And I want to walk you through that just a little bit, and then we're going to do some uh, takeaway lessons that I learned. But on March 22nd of 2014, at 10.37 in the morning, a massive wall of mud erased the Steelhead Drive neighborhood in Oso, Washington. It quickly went from a local response, the local firefighters, to a county response. So within a couple of days, it was a state and a federal response. And I was called in at that moment when it became a federal response. Uh, they called me and they said, we want you to, um, uh, to report to, uh, to the mudslide area. You're going to be assigned to the command post. We want you to work in the command post. They'd set up a command post in um, Arlington. It was at an old school that had been closed down. It had been decommissioned. They pulled all the plumbing out of it. There was no running water in the school, so they had to bring in, like, you know, Santa can porta potties in the front, you know, right in front of the front steps, and they brought in tents for us to eat in, and trailers to, to cook meals for all the command staff and all that stuff. So they just set up a whole town right there around this old abandoned school. Um, and my job was to be assigned to the Joint Information Center. Uh, part of my role in the fire department is I work as a public information officer and have training for that, dealing with the media and other things like that. So they said we really need as many people as possible. Uh, and so I showed up to the command center. That is the joint information center uh, of the command center. You can see I'm not alone in there. I've got about uh, 25 people that are with me, but we've all got different responsibilities. Uh, my workstation is right there. That's my whole desk. That's my coat. That's my laptop, my coffee cup, and my pad of paper. That's my entire workspace for two weeks. Uh, I did everything from my, that spot right there. Uh, now, everybody had to do some different responsibilities, and they kind of doled out. They said, okay, we need people to do a whole myriad of things, so let's start assigning who's going to do what. And so most of the people, they are responsible for the press releases. Every day we had press releases, meeting with the press, on-camera interviews, talking about all different aspects, bringing in specialists and, and uh, you know, all that stuff to be able to talk on different things. A lot of geologists were there, of course. Um, my job was to represent the families. They said, we want you to be the family liaison. And I'm like, okay, what, what's that? And they said, well, you're actually going to be responsible for keeping the families of the victims that we're looking for out in the mudslide area you know, up to speed of what's going on. You're going to work directly with the families. And I thought, well, oh, okay. It's not what I really wanted to do, but I guess so. You know what I wanted to do? I want to do that. That's what I'm trained to do. I, give me a shovel, I will dig. Uh, I'm great at, with a shovel. That's, I, I, can, I can go for a long time with a shovel. Those are my friends out there. Those are the guys I work with. I'm like, you know what? I want to be with them. That's where I want to be. Or at the very least, okay, if I'm going to be a, a, a you know, PIO, then let me be the PIO that takes the, the, the media out to the site. And we had to direct them, of course, for their own safety 
of, of where they could and couldn't go. And so uh, we had a couple people that their whole job was just to keep the media going in the right direction. I want to do that. But uh, no, I was assigned to this guy. This man's name is Larry Nicky. He's the incident commander of the entire thing. He's the top dog, the very top of the organization. It's the only picture of him. Very quiet and unassuming man. I learned so much from this guy. I could put an entire sermon together just on lessons learned from this guy. And this is him at his one and only press conference. This is a beautiful press conference. He told the press, he said, uh, I am not going to meet with you after this ever. And, of course, they were outraged. They're like, what? And he's like, you know what? I didn't come here for you as the press members. I came here to help the families that are missing their loved ones. So while my team of people are meeting with you, I'm going to be meeting with the families. So him and I would go to about 15 miles away in an undisclosed location for complete privacy uh, and met with the families, the entire, all fa- everybody that had lost a loved one, and as, and as big as that family wanted to be, extended family or not, uh, everybody was invited to come, and then Larry and I would sit and give do notifications for them. Now, sometimes that was, they would arrive, and we would say, hey, we, we found some people, and we'd grab the families of the people that we had found and said, We've, we found your loved one today, and we'd go out. Imagine the emotions that were involved in that. My other responsibilities, you know, because a thing like this, you don't ever get us to do one thing. Uh, um, other responsibilities included, I got to coordinate... All the funerals. There's a lot of funerals. And that was my job, was to coordinate the funerals. Now, one of the big pieces of that was, of course, this attracted a lot of attention from all of our elected officials, everywhere from the uh, mayors of the small towns all the way up to, well, actually all the way up to the president. I didn't have to worry about him. A whole other team worried about him, but all the way up to the governor. Uh, And so that was my job, was to coordinate between the elected officials from the marriage of the governor's office uh, and the families, because they wanted to be at the funerals to show support of the families. Well, I don't know if you know much about Oso, Washington, but it's out in the middle of nowhere. And people move there typically to get away from life and especially politics, especially politicians who don't believe the same politics they have. So I had a very uncomfortable uh, uh, conversation with a certain governor that I won't mention of uh, that um, uh, these people are staunch conservative Republicans. No offense, you're a Democrat. They don't want you. Uh, One of the people that was killed was actually a separatist and back in the 80s and 90s tried taking East King County and succeeding from West King County and forming Freedom County. (laughs) So you can imagine how his family felt. So that was a lot of stress. That was a lot of tension of trying to balance that between the elected officials wanting to be there and the families and, and being mediator between those two parties. That took a lot. Uh, and then they brought extra. There's always something extra. So, I mean, like, you know, I'm trying to do all this stuff. And then they all of a sudden they ask a question that says, hey, who has any experience with junior hires? And I'm like, uh, actually, I, I kind of do. I was a junior high youth pastor for a while, and I currently coach uh, cross country and track for junior high. So, yeah, what do you need? Like, oh, the, the school right next door, the student body's being assembled. They're kind of wondering what the heck's going on. And so we need somebody to go over there and address the student body. And I'm like, oh, okay, like when? Um, like now. <laughs> so I literally walked 200 meters from, that, from the, the command post of the school. That's me uh, addressing the entire student body. I'm holding a note of paper, scratch paper, uh, that I like scratched out on my way over there, and now I'm addressing the student body. Just another t- thing that they 
pile on to you of, of what you want to do. Now, we didn't get a lot of sleep. <clears throat> uh, our our uh, morning started out at 5 a.m. for morning briefing. We had, morning, or we had evening debriefing about 9.30. And then you tried to get something to eat, a couple hours of sleep, get up the next morning and do it all over again. So about six days, six, seven, the no sleep, the constant pressure, it was uh, starting to get to be a bit much. So they brought in therapy dogs. That's a stress therapy dog. I didn't even know they had stress therapy dogs, but they do. Uh, they brought in these dogs. These dogs are awesome. They walk through the command post, and if they sense your stress, they lay their head on your lap. And you just kind of pet them. And it just feels so good to have somebody in the room that doesn't want anything from you. Just wants to hang out with you. They were the best. A couple of little pets, they'd move on to the next guy. It was great. They just kept going, circling through the command post um, for all the people that were there. I love the therapy dogs. Uh, but uh, they gave me a task to work with a certain national relief agency uh, that uh, likes to come to these big events like this. And when it comes to critical information, they have a policy of taking all your information, giving none of it back, and being as uncooperative as possible. Uh, and it was my job was to work with that uh, agency. I actually invited and relieved, but uh, that, they, that didn't go over well. So, um, <clears throat> And I had had enough. Finally, it was too much. All the weight of the funerals, the families, the elected officials, the national organizations, all the stuff was enough. So I went to the only private place that there was at the command post. The Santa can. You got it. There's one. It was in the, the row of Santa cans. And I, that's the only place you could go to be alone. You looked forward to going to the bathroom when you were there because you could be alone for just a couple of moments. So I went to the Santa can and me and God, we had an argument. I don't know if you argue with God. I argue with him all the time. And I got an argument with him. And, and, and my argument was, God, I am not happy with the conditions that you have put me in. I want you to give me a new set of tasks because I don't like the ones that I got. In fact, I want to be out there with my friends digging on the pile. Why can't I be out there? I, I was wired to do that. I'm, I'm trained to do that. That's where all my training is, is being with the firefighters out there doing that job. So then I started quoting Psalm 139 to him. God, in Psalm 139, it says, I don't know if you read it or not, but it says, <laughs> you have knit me together, you have formed me, you made me to do this, you need to let me do this. Now, of course, I was saying all this out loud. I, I learned from a lot of two-year-olds, if you're going to have a temper tantrum, you do it at full volume. That's, bring it on. I don't know what people thought as they were going by, but I was having it out. Me and God, we were having a doozy of a call. And you know, it doesn't happen often in, in my life where I hear that tangible voice from God, but this was one of those moments. And in the middle of that Santa can... God cut right through my complaining and I heard the voice and the words clear as day. And the words were this. He said, the dead are dead and don't need to be ministered to. I need you to minister to the living. That cut right through me like a knife. It literally took my breath away. I mean, literally, I remember being in Santa Cana and going, oh, and it was the voice of a rebuking father. You know what, God, you're right. You're absolutely right. And like Psalm 139 tells us, God is everywhere. 
the highest height, the deepest depth, and even in Santa cans, God is there. And there's not a lot of room in Santa cans to get away from God. Now, if I could have had enough room in that Santa can to kneel, I don't think I would have. Um, <laughs> but as much as I could, I bowed before God. And I repented. And I said, God, you are so right. I am so sorry. I repent. You have asked me to come here and serve. Who, who am I to dictate the conditions? I will be faithful. And you know what, Lord, no matter what you throw at me, I will choose joy and accept that assignment. And I came out of there and cleaned myself up and climbed those stairs back into the command post. I walked into the information center and the head of the information center came running up to me and said, oh my gosh, we've been looking for you. We've got a new assignment. You've got to get on it right away. And I'm like, okay, what do you got? Westboro Baptist is on a plane. They are flying here right now to disrupt the funerals especially the funerals of the active service members. Now, the families and the U.S. military want to make sure you don't let that happen. And I gripped my teeth and I was like, okay, I'm going to choose joy. Thank you, God. But we're going to talk about this one later. Well, what can we learn about this? There's a lot of qualities that go into being a servant leader. One of them is to serve where called. Where has God called you to serve? And are you willing to serve there? A good friend of mine, Linda Hinkle, has a great saying. I love it. She's a missionary. She says, you know what? God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. Meaning if God's called you, is there someone that can do it better? Yeah, maybe. But that's not who God's interested in. God's interested in you. And if you accept the assignment, he will equip you for that assignment. God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. So serve where called. Now, don't whine too much. Okay? I know I was a big part of whining in my story. But think about when you have your ki- with your kids. Uh, you ask your kids to do something and the whining starts. And you kind of listen to it for a little bit. Okay, yeah, I'll listen to you. Yeah, I know you don't want to do this. Okay, yeah, blah, blah. And then you finally stop and say, okay, you know what? Done whining, I just need you to do this. And if they stop at that moment and say, okay, and go do it, then there's no problem. It's when they keep whining that it's like, okay, now I'm going to kill you. Uh, <laughs> we need to be that way. I, I, I love getting into dialogue with God of, really, you want me to do this? Uh, but I know that like that moment at Santa Can when God says, you know what, stop. I've asked you to do this. You need to be with the living. And I knew at that moment, Whining's over. You're right, God. I will do that. I will be a faithful servant. Don't develop serving envy. Uh, boy, it's so easy to do this. I was envious of my friends who were out digging out there in the, the landslide area. I was envious of the guys that I worked with in the command center that got to take the media out there every day. Uh, I, I thought that they had better jobs than I did. And don't we do that when we serve, especially here in the church? Why do I have to serve here? Why can't I be with them over there? Uh, Don't get serving envy. Another important thing is to learn to follow. Uh, Many, many leaders will tell you that you can't be a good leader until you learn how to be a good follower. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. 
You've got to learn how to be a good follower before you can become a good leader. People aren't going to trust you if they don't know that you can also follow. I think it's important you've got to listen to God. And that means being in His Word and being in prayer. So many people say, I just never hear from God. And I always ask them, are you having a conversation with God? It's pretty hard to hear from somebody if you're not talking to them. If you're not in any conversation with them, you have to be in a conversation with them. How are we in a conversation with God? We're in a conversation with God by being in our word and by praying to him. Then we can hear what he wants us to do. And you need to step out of your comfort zone. You know, I love junior hires. Best age group ever. Uh, you give me a room of junior hires, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I, I love hanging out junior hires. That wasn't always the case. About 30 years ago, a very young pastor named Steve Mitchells with a big head of hair uh, came to me and, uh, and said, hey, I want you to work with the junior hire group here at church. And I was like, junior hires? Are you nuts? Have you seen a junior hire? There is no way I'm working with junior hires. Okay? But I chose to, okay, yeah, I'll give it a try. I learned I love junior hires. I had no idea that that, that was such a passion, um, but it was because I had stepped out in faith and tried it that I discovered I liked it. Uh, some of us don't learn our gifts. I hear some people, oh, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what my gifts are. Great, start serving. Jump in somewhere. J- jump in and serve. God will show you what your gifts are. Uh, the other thing we can do is grow by serving. What if you accept the serving assignment or you get assigned a serving assignment and you don't like it? Great. It's a great opportunity for you to grow. Let me ask you this. Do we really grow spiritually if we're always doing things we like? Can God teach you obedience by doing things that you enjoy and like? No. When do we learn obedience? We learn obedience when we're doing the difficult. We're doing the challenging. That's when we grow the most. That's when God can really get our attention and do a great work in us. And then lastly, look for places to serve. Be active about it. Don't wait for it to come to you. Go sign up for it. Uh, If you think that this is nothing more than a commercial to say that everybody after this message needs to go sign up to help Shannon in childcare, you're right. (laughs) And Shannon didn't even pay me to say that. Zach just said we need people helping in the, the first impression team. Perfect. Look for those places, both in and out of the box, meaning this is the box, the Northview box. Is there places to serve here at Northview? Yes. Find one of those places. Is there places to serve outside of this box, in your community, at your work? Notice that my illustration where I grew uh, just last year had nothing to do with church. It was all about my role at work and being asked to serve in that capacity. Ask the Lord, show me where I can work or show me where I can serve both in my church world and outside of the church world. I want to take a look at this passage because I think there's a lot that we can learn from it. Remember the pastors or the chaplains of Sandy Hook? They were there with ulterior motives. They wanted to be great. They wanted to be noticed. And in this passage, we see Jesus Again, teaching by way of a parable. And he says, Now he told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down at a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished comes along. 
uh, by them, and then, I'm sorry, uh, place of honor, uh, sit down, place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you is invited by him, and he who invited you both will come to say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But rather, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When you look for places to serve, find this, the, the low spots, I call them. That's what Jesus calls them. Find the areas that don't have a lot of glory, don't have a lot of attention to them. Like the chaplains at Sandy Hook, it was the three chaplains that says, you know what, we'll, we'll stand here in the rain and help you. It wasn't a position of glory. And the others went off looking for the position of glory. And they were exalted up. The guys were looking for glory. What happened to them? Get out. You think that was a walk of shame? being kicked out by the police department. That's how you should approach things and be looking for areas that you can serve. There are people that come up to Steve Mitchell's and say, hi, I'm new to your church. I think I need to serve as an elder. They want to start right there. I would recommend that that may not be the best way to approach it. Maybe say, hi, I'm new to Northview. I'm really good at making coffee. You got a a need for that? I'm great at vacuuming floors. I'm great at hanging out with kids in the classrooms. Let me wrap it up with this observation. If I had not accepted the responsibilities that I had at Oso, operating out of my comfort zone, I would not nearly have learned as much as I did. Because I've talked to my, my buddies at work that were out there digging. They were out there looking for the victims. And they says, you know... Kind of at the end of the day, it wasn't any different than a wildland deployment. It wasn't any different than a house fire we go on. It was, the, it was the job we're trained for. We did our job. We went there. We left. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they definitely learned a lot from it, and they definitely, it, it affected them. But uh, uh, it, they really didn't grow as a result of that. I grew. Like I said, from what I learned just from Larry Nicky alone, I could put into a whole entire sermon. But it really changed me. Now, was it a... It wasn't about what I could give to the community of Oso. They didn't need Dave Weed. And like I said, they certainly could have found somebody a whole lot more talented to me than I am to be able to do that role. But God chose me. And the question was, was I willing to be faithful in that moment? So that that way God could impart to me and grow me to be a better servant for his kingdom. Now the last day at the command post, I served there for two weeks. And then they, uh, they de- you know, kind of demobilized me, sent me home. But I thought I need to stop by and meet with God one last time before I leave this place. So I went to that most holy of places, the Santa Can, where God had met with me in a powerful way. And it was going to be a long drive home, so I figured I better stop there anyway. Um, but, uh, but I want to stop and just say, God, thank you for teaching me and directing me. And it was a very, very sweet time. I know it's hard to imagine a sweet time in a Santa Can. A very sweet time with the Lord. There's rumors that people were walking outside at that time and they heard a voice from inside the Santa Cans yelling, Really, God, Westboro, you threw them at me? But I can't confirm those rumors. But uh, let's pray. Lord, we recognize that you have called us to be servants. We see that clearly in your word. We see examples around us of being a servant. And Lord, we know that that is knitted into the DNA here at Norfew. 
And yet, as we see that, we recognize in our own lives that we have so much room to grow when it comes to being a servant and what it looks like to be a servant for you and for your kingdom. Lord, help us to be about a group of people here at Norfew that will continue to seek to grow, to change, to be challenged, but also a group of people that look for ways to serve both here within Norfew and also outside of the walls of Norfew. We pray these things in your name. Amen.